On a snowy October day, it is good to have you all here this morning. Let me say it one more time. Good morning. morning. All right, great to have everybody here. You know, as we look at God's Word together, I would tell you this. Christians have one calling and yet two venues, one purpose and yet two passports. We have one calling and one purpose in that we are to love as we put on the walls. I mean, that's what we are about as Impact Christian Church. We want to love God, love others, and let God through us change lives. So we have one calling and one purpose, and yet we have two venues and two passports because we have dual citizenship. We are in the world, but not of the world. Scripture makes that so clear. On one hand, we are citizens of this world here on earth, and yet in other respects, we are just passing through. We are, in many respects, foreigners, or, or you could even say aliens, which is why we're calling this series what we are. We're simply going through the book of 1 Peter, which talks about that concept that we are foreigners or aliens in this world. We're going through that book verse by verse, and today we're going to look at the second half of chapter 3. If you have your Bible, you might pick it up and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. You can find a Bible there around you. You can also fill in the blanks as we come to those in just a moment. But uh, I'm guessing everyone in the room has seen the movie Wizard of Oz, right? Anybody never? All right, everybody's probably seen the movie. And if you have, you know there are four main characters that are all short on something, right? They are all missing something. The scarecrow needed a what? Brain. Come on. All right, got to keep it going here. The scarecrow needed a brain. The lion needed what? Courage, right? The tin man needed a heart. And Dorothy, she just, she just wanted to go home, Right? Each desperately wanted to meet the wizard so that someday when they met him, he could give them this thing that they were missing so much. Well, as we look at this passage today, I want to talk to you about our need to share the love and truth of Jesus with others in our world. We're calling it a reason to witness. I think this second half of this book uh, or this chapter in this book has to do with this concept as much as anything, a reason to witness. And as we do so, I want to look at it through the eyes of these four characters in that movie. So you might say there are some key words to witnessing, and the first one would simply be courage, the thing that the lion thought he needed so badly, the thing he thought he was short on, courage. Now, before we even look at our passage together, I think you need to understand that Peter, as he was writing this, was writing to people that uh, were under intense persecution. Intense. It's already, I mean, the fire is already hot, but it is getting hotter all the time. Here's where we pick it up. In verse 13, Peter writes this, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. And then he says, Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Do not fear. Do not be frightened. In other words, be courageous, he's saying. Kind of like the lion wanted to be courageous, these people needed to be encouraged to be courageous in a comprehensive sense as followers of Jesus throughout the world, but specifically in the context of sharing Jesus with others, which is not an easy place to be. Even though persecution and pushback might come their way, Peter is saying, be courageous. In other places, God's Word talks about that in many, many different ways. I love some of these. These are just a few of my favorite verses, but Joshua 1, 9 says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God. Or in other words, I, he says, I am with you wherever you go. In Matthew 10, Jesus said, Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. 
Psalm 118, verse 6 says, The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? That's a powerful thought. And so then, what shall we say in response to all these things? Romans 8, verse 31, the Apostle Paul says, If God is for us, who can be against us? So be courageous, be strong, be bold. As Peter says here to the readers of his writing, he says, Do not fear, do not be frightened. Now, as we read that and think about it, we've got to remember that this is Peter. Peter, right? Who at times was bold, but at times in other ways was a coward. Remember what happened the night Jesus needed him most when Jesus was about to go to the cross? What did Peter do? He ran in fear three times, or he denied Jesus at least, and then ran away. You know, so what happened? I mean, how did Peter go from that guy to this guy who's now talking so strongly about courage? It's all about the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's exactly the key difference, whom Peter did not have at one point, but he does at this point in his life. Peter received the Holy Spirit after Jesus ascended back into heaven, and the same Holy Spirit that gave Peter great courage and strength is there for you as me, and me as much as anybody else as well if we will simply surrender our lives to him. He will fill us with, with, with courage and so much more as we seek to follow him and honor him with our life. So don't be like the cowardly lion in the movie. Be bold and courageous in all of your life as you follow Jesus, but specifically in the context of sharing Jesus with others. Because I don't know about you, but a lot of us struggle in the context of being courageous when it comes to sharing our faith with others. That's a scary thing. It shouldn't be, but it sometimes is. And yet we need to take Peter's words to heart in this way. Matthew 9, 37, Jesus said, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest field. And he's talking about you and me. We need to be those workers. You see, our job is to plant seeds. To plant seeds, sometimes to water seeds. Now, God brings in the harvest. But remember, a farmer never, ever harvests anything unless someone first plants the seed. And unless that seed also gets watered. When the Apostle Paul was talking about this concept of witnessing to other people in Corinth, he said this. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 3. He said, I planted the seeds in your hearts, and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. God brings in the harvest, but he wants you and I to do our part and plant seeds, sometimes to water seeds. So I think we need to be like Isaiah. Isaiah when he heard God asking him, who shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah stood up and said, here I am, Lord. Here I am. Send me. Here I am. You know, a lot of us can relate to the lion in this context because it is scary when we think about sharing the gospel with somebody else. But it is a reason, a, a, a key word in the context of being wit, uh, able to witness is this idea of courage. We have every reason to be courageous, and yet we're often bashful like the lion. We're scared. We put our tail between our legs and run the other way. But he, you know, in that same way, we need to remember he was a lion after all. I mean, he acted like a scared little house cat, but he was a lion. And yet he was afraid of things he had no reason to be afraid of. And in many respects, we as Christians do the same thing. So I want to encourage you to not be that way, to look for ways to say, God, help me to be courageous. Help me to stand up and share your truth with others, with those who don't know you. 
If God's calling us in that way, then He is calling you to not be afraid and to be courageous. That's the first word. Others of you might relate more to the scarecrow. The scarecrow, again, all right, you, we already said it once, but what did the scarecrow lack? You're right, he, he lacked a brain. He just didn't feel smart enough. He didn't feel prepared enough or fluid enough. He always felt like he was going to say something wrong or do it wrong or not be smart enough to think of the right words or whatever. Have you ever felt that way in the context of maybe sharing your faith with somebody else? Like, oh, I just, I don't know what to say. How would I possibly, I'll probably mess it up. Something along that line. Well, I think another key word in the context of, of sharing the truth with others is the notion of preparation. Look at our text. Verse 15 says, Peter says this, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be, what's the word? Prepared. Prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Be prepared, he says. Now, how do you do that? You use your brain. You use your brain. Do you remember what the wizard told the scarecrow at the end of the movie? Remember that? If you remember that movie, when they finally met him, and he was just a short little guy hiding behind the curtain, whatever. Remember what he told him? He told him, you just, you already have a brain. You just need to use it. You know, you're no different than all the really smart people that have all these degrees and whatever. And he tell, told him the story about the university and others that have been there and what they're learning. And, and he, in fact, felt sorry for him, so he gave him an honorary diploma to help him feel more confident. But he basically said, you have what it takes, Scarecrow. You just need to use your brain. The point was, you know, that we, you know, need to, in that same way, use what God has already given us. The point for us today is that if you don't feel prepared enough to share Jesus with others, fix that. It's not that hard. It really comes down to you just wanting to develop that relationship with the Lord. If you will get in the habit of spending time alone with the Lord, maybe that's through the M&M plan, the Memorize and Meditate plan that, that's out there that I've written that uh, I know some of you have enjoyed. Maybe it's something totally different on your own. There are all kinds of great ways to get into God's Word. But to make it a daily routine to develop that relationship with Him is so beautiful and so powerful and so effective in helping you feel prepared. The more time you spend with the Lord. There are other great authors. You know, some of my favorites would be people like, like uh, maybe C.S. Lewis and Lee Strobel and Tim and Tim Timothy Keller and Max Lucado and Kyle Eidelman. Um, there are lots of other great authors today, but mostly we need to get into God's Word. You know, I told someone who's actually sitting here today that... Um, in our church family this week who had come to me telling me that she's nervous about starting a conversation with a non-Christian friend who has recently been told that she doesn't have long to live. And our, my friend, a part of our church, said, I don't know what to say. What, what, help me out. What, what, what should I maybe say to this friend of mine? And, and, and I tried to share a few thoughts, but I think the main thing, as I told her to talk to her friend about, is to simply tell her your story. Tell her your story. Tell her why Jesus is important to you. How has Jesus changed your life? What has he done for you? How has he affected your life? How do you feel different? How does the world look different today because Jesus is in your life? You don't have to have all the answers to all the questions, but you can be, as Scripture says, prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. You can be that. You can live out what Peter is saying if you are simply willing to think through and share your story, why it is that Jesus matters to you. 
And that, of course, is in addition to looking for opportunities to develop a routine, a relationship with the Lord, to spend time in His Word as well. Both are important. Thirdly, for some, the issue is, has, has nothing to do with courage, like the lion, has nothing to do with preparation, like the scarecrow. You're more like the tin man. The tin man. What did he want? A heart. He needed a heart, right? If you're like him, the key word for you might be gentleness. Let me explain how they connect. Gentleness. Again, Scripture says this, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with what? Gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. You see, we all need bigger hearts, like the tin man wanted a bigger heart. You see, the love of Jesus is the most powerful thing in the universe, but if it is presented in a non-loving way, it loses its power. Without gentleness and without respect, without kindness, without compassion, the truth that you might want to share with somebody doesn't have the same power. As I've said before, I have yet to ever meet a single person who surrendered their life to the Lord because they lost an argument with a Christian. I just don't think that person exists. You see, witnessing to someone is not the same as debating with someone. Witnessing is not about winning an argument. It's about winning their heart. And that only comes with gentleness, with respect, as Peter is talking here. It only comes with compassion and kindness and listening skills and some of these kinds of things. Last week, we talked about a biblically correct but politically incorrect idea, and that has to do with submission, wives submitting to their husbands, and that's not, diff that's not easy. It's difficult to talk about, but we talked about it simply because that's how this chapter, 1 Peter chapter 3, begins. If you were here last week, you know, but as Kim and I talked about that together, I tried to really emphasize and make a point to the men in the room as well when Peter said in verse 7 of our chapter. He said, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate. Considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. There's that word again. When he said be considerate, as I explained last week, he literally meant to be knowledgeable about. That's the original translation of that word. To, to be knowledgeable of your wife to the extent that you care about and love her. You study her. You know her. You, you find out what makes her tick. You know, good ways, bad ways, everything in between. You figure out her love language, all of this for the sake of treating her with respect, gentleness, and kindness. In other words, don't be a bull in a china closet, husbands. And in the same way, when it comes to witnessing to somebody, the, the, same, the same statement applies. Don't be a bull in a china closet. Listen to them. Care about them. Yes, we need to be bold and courageous like a lion, but we also need to be gentle and respectful and, and ask God to help us develop a heart a heart like the tin man wanted, by not only sharing our thoughts, which of course we have to do that, but also looking for opportunity to listen and, and ask questions and, and practice James 1.19, be quick to listen and slow to speak, you know, these kinds of things. Start the conversation, but then let them ask you questions. Maybe they'll have questions about, about why do you believe? Tell me, you know, friend, why, why do you believe in God? Let's start there. Or maybe it's, why do you have hope and confidence? Why do you have a sense of purpose? Maybe they'll ask you that. Or, or how is it that you seem to have joy in your life, even when life gets really hard? 
How do you handle that kind of stuff when it comes your way? Well, verse 17 in our text continues. Peter says, for it is better if it is, if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Help your friend, maybe if you're witnessing to them, to understand that you are hopeful. You can be hopeful even in the midst of difficulty, even suffering, not because you twist your fingers around each other and you hope, you know, like, oh, I'm hoping. No, it's because you are hope-filled because of who Jesus is, because of the confidence you have, the assurance that you have in Him. And talk about these kinds of things. Filled with, with love and hope, you can be able to present something that is more attractive than anything this world has to offer. You may not have all the answers, and you definitely do not live a perfect life, because we're all that way. And unless you broke our rule, there's no perfect people allowed in here, so you all fit that. But we have to still be able to help people see that there is hope, and that there is a focus and a purpose, and, and that we can have confidence even though we are flawed. And all of that because of who Jesus is in the middle of our storms and all that that looks like. So share and talk about such things when you're witnessing to somebody based on having a heart. I love how Chad finishes almost every prayer when he comes up here to talk about communion or offering or something else. Almost always after saying, you know, this or that and, and uh, whatever else is in his prayer, he closes almost every time by saying, and yet most of all, Jesus, we love you. You ever heard him? He almost always says that. And I love that. I think we all, we love Jesus because he first loved us. I think Chad's in tune with that, and we should all be in tune with that. So when you're given the responsibility and privilege of talking to somebody about the Lord, just talk about these kinds of things and about how much God loves us and what a privilege it is that we get to love him back. Another key word, then, is motive. The motive. Look at verse 18 as we continue. Verse 18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that's you and me, to bring you, to bring us to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. I think we have two motives. The first motive would be that God loves us first. Christ, what does he say here? Christ suffered for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. That is a huge motive for us to to witness to somebody else because of how much God loves. You know, I think of Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's a great verse to share with somebody when you're witnessing to them because he did that at just the perfect time, Scripture says. But 1 John 4, 19 is what I was referencing earlier when it says that for, we love God because he first loved us. But our second motive to witness to somebody is what's on the line. I want you to think about what is on the line. Again, look at, look at what Peter said. He said, For Christ also suffered to bring you to God. To bring you to God. So in other words, without His suffering, without His sacrifice, you would not be able to be brought to God. You would be absent of or far from God. You would be eternally separated from God. We're talking about hell now, hell, again, is another politically incorrect thing. Nobody likes to hear about hell. Nobody wants to talk about hell. But hell is real. We would know that. We could have confidence in that if we just heard it spoke of one time in Scripture. One time would be enough. But do you know how many times the Bible talks about hell in the New Testament? Fifty-four times. And more often than by anybody else, it's by Jesus. He's the one who talks about it more than anybody else. And the reality of hell 
as well as, of course, the presence of God's love and the power of His love. But the reality of hell as well should motivate us to want to tell others about the good news of Jesus, about the possibility of being saved from that reality. Now, we shouldn't wish hell on anybody. A pastor that I know in, in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, named Dave Stone once said, Hell is a place where those who don't want God in their life get what they want. It's an existence without God, which is so much worse than what any such person, you know, the person who thinks they don't want God, they don't believe in God, I don't want to have anything to do with God, I don't even want to acknowledge God. It's, uh, an existence without God is so much worse than that, that person can ever possibly really imagine on this side of death. You see, those who run from and resist God here on earth, you know, trying to deny Him, say, I don't even believe in Him, I definitely don't want to follow Him, I don't want to think about Him, you know, He should be removed from our schools, removed from the government, removed from, you know, our lives in every way. Those people actually, whether they realize it or not, benefit greatly from God, even though they don't want to acknowledge Him. Because, as James chapter 1 tells us, every good and perfect gift is from above from the Father of the heavenly lights. All kinds of good exists in our world. Even though our world is messed up and we've got a lot of issues, whether it be in our country or others, there's all kinds of issues. But still, there's all kinds of good stuff too. And so even the atheist benefits greatly by God's presence, even though they want to deny it while they live in this life. Because there is good. There are things that make you smile. And everything that makes you smile, everything that is good comes from the Father above. But someday, those who are lost and living without Jesus, when they get what they think they want, which is a, a presence or a life without God in any way, without any connection to Him at all, total separation from Him, yeah, that's what I want, they might say, when they really get it. It is horrifically sad, horrifically scary and horrifying and permanent. And therefore, it should be heartbreaking for you and me to know that such people will someday get what they want. Remember that those who are running from God, who are, you know, in denying God, are sometimes hurtful and hateful and all the above, yes, and so therefore hard to love. Sometimes that's the case, but you got to remember something. They are not the enemy. Ephesians 6 makes that so clear. They are not, flesh and blood is not our enemy. They are just victims of the enemy. So we should be motivated to love them even though they may be hard to love because of what is on the line. A prayer I pray often that I would encourage you to maybe add to your time of prayer when you pray would be to simply just say, oh, Lord God, please break my heart for what breaks yours. I try to pray that often and just say, God, I, I see things from my own perspective, my own eyes all the time, but Lord, would you please break my heart for what breaks yours? Verse 19 continues, Peter says, And being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Now, Martin Luther once said this about this passage. He said, a wonderful text is this, and a, mere obs a more obscure passage perhaps than any other in the New Testament, so that I do not know for a certainty just what Peter means. 
This week, I talked with the elders. We had a meeting, and I talked to them about this passage, among others, and I, I spent quite a bit of time studying it and researching it as well. And here is my conclusion and, and the conclusion of all the elders, and that, that is this. We don't know for sure what this means. We're not real sure what it really means. There is no real consensus among other theologians and experts as well. What does it mean that Jesus went and preached to the imprisoned spirits? There are various theories, ideas, and thoughts, and possibilities. And bottom line, here's, here's my conclusion. If you want to know more about it, rather than me talk a lot about it here, which I thought about doing and presenting some of the different ideas, but since it's all inconclusive and nobody really has a consensus on it, I thought, I'm just going to say this. If you want to know more about it, email me, and I will, I will forward you a whole bunch of stuff I can copy-paste from different interesting commentaries, and you can kind of sort it out and see if you can come to a consensus in your own mind. But personally, I, th I like to chalk it up to... Deuteronomy 29, 29. Mac Owen said that's what he does. In this verse, uh, he applies it in this way. The Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. There are things that we are not going to fully understand. I like how Rob Gleghorn, as one of our elders, also often says, I think we need to, I'm paraphrasing you, but he says something like, we need to just practice what's in the black and white, the clear-cut stuff in Scripture, the stuff that's pretty easily understood. And once we get all that figured out and are living that, then we can start trying to sort out the stuff that's really complicated that nobody seems to know. But until you, until you get the black and white parts, the really clear-cut stuff figured out, why, why try to scratch your head or worry about all the stuff that people are like, I don't know, I'm not sure, might this, might that. So my angle would be to move on in that way. But seriously, if you want to know more, let me know and I'll email you some stuff. I think we need to primarily keep the first things first. And when it comes to witnessing to others, there is one more key piece, one more key word I want to share with you. And that is the result. If you're filling in the blanks, write it down, the result. Here's how the, the chapter ends. Peter says this. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you, that now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. We need to love and, and, and share Jesus' love with others because of what's on the line, because he first loved us, but also because of the result of what happens when God works through us, when we are courageous and prepared and willing to share truth with others. We're talking about being saved. When people get saved, there is nothing better. I love a lot of what I get to do as a pastor, but seeing somebody come to know the Lord and accept Him, surrender their life to Him, there is nothing better than that. And the result that we get to be part of, that God works through us in some way to help somebody else come to be saved, is the ultimate thing. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, God tells us this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages, in other words, the things you deserve, this is what you earn. You know, if you get a job at, at, at Walmart, they pay you X amount of dollars per hour. You get wages. You get what you earn. And the wages or what you earn for the way you live life is death. Because we all have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. That's what we deserve. But that's not what we get. 
we get grace. We get the gift of God, eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, if we will simply surrender our lives to Him. The water through which Noah and his family were saved that we're talking about here, what does it say again? Symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body. In other words, he's saying, look, it's not about the water itself. I mean, you could get baptized a hundred times, but if you do it for the wrong reason, you're just nothing more than a soaked sinner. It has done you no good. It has not changed anything. It's not magical water. It's not like a magic ticket, you know, or any of that. It, it is not an action through which you can earn anything from God. But what does Peter go on to say? He says it is, he says it saves you, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. In other words, it is about your faith. It's about your heart. It's about putting your faith in motion, putting your faith in Him, trusting in Him with your whole heart. Or as or as I like to say, or, and Max said he loves this as well, putting our, our, or making our faith public, taking our faith public. I like to tell people, you know, if Jesus can die for me on a cross, who am I to ever hesitate and say, well, I don't know if I really want to get baptized. I mean, yes, you died for me on a cross, but I'm not real comfortable with getting wet. That's, that's a lot to ask, Lord. I don't know, you know. If Jesus can die for us, surely we can follow his example and his teaching that is so consistent in Scripture about giving our whole heart to Him, and being baptized, which symbolizes His death, burial, and resurrection as well. So we're going to close in singing in just a little bit. I'm going to ask the band to come and, and uh, lead us in that in just a moment. But as we do, as Christians, I, I want to remind you, what, what did Dorothy want? What'd she want again? To go home. She wanted to go home. We want to go home, Right? Do you want those who you know that are lost to also get to someday go home? Don't you? Don't they all deserve to get to go home just like you and I, just like Dorothy wanted? You know, the lion wanted courage, the scarecrow wanted a brain, the tin man wanted a heart, but Dorothy wanted the best thing. She wanted to go home. That's the result she was looking for. That's the result we should all look for. Do you remember playing hide and seek as a kid? When you played hide-and-seek, what did you do? You looked for the best possible spot so that, you know, you could stuff yourself like a pretzel inside of some little box or hide in a corner that nobody would ever find you or whatever. And, and yet, did you really want to not be found? Does anybody really, truly, as a child, not ever want to be found? I don't think so. You, you like to be the last one found. That's cool, because then you can brag about that. But the truth is, you want to find a spot where eventually you are found. What happens if you aren't found? Everybody else is found. The person's about ready to give up. You know, the person who was it, who's looking around, they can't find everybody. What do they do? They're starting to give up. So what do you do? You start going, <clears throat> over here. You know, you start making noise. So they're like, hey, wait a minute. I think, he's, I think he's over there. I heard some noise. You start doing that because you want to be found, right? I think those who are lost in our world today who maybe even would swear up and down, I don't believe in God. I don't want to have anything to do with God. I don't, I mean, I don't want to have anything to do with church or Christians. I hate the whole context. I don't like any of that. I think down inside, most of them still really do want to be found. They may not admit it. They might not even really truly know it themselves, but I think down inside, they want to be found. And I, I think as Christians, we need to do our part to be courageous, 
like the lion. We need to be prepared like the scarecrow, using our brain, getting in God's word. We need to be like the um, tin man and say, God, please break my heart for what breaks yours. Lord, help me to have a heart and care enough to really invest in and love on these other people. So maybe you know somebody like that, that you need to witness to and talk to this week, share the truth of Jesus' love with. Invite them to come to church with you next Sunday or maybe on Monday night at Celebrate Recovery or whatever it may be, but, or just to sit down and talk to them and ask questions, let them ask you questions. But I'm wondering if maybe there's somebody in the room right here today as well that has never been baptized. If you've been here the last few weeks, you have seen um, a number of people just kind of impromptu come forward and be baptized. I don't know that I've told, any, told you as a church body this uh, often enough or frequently or lately, but we have in the back um, black t-shirts with a, with a pair of black shorts with either, you know, medium, large, extra large, whatever, um, so that we can find what you need. We have these available and ready. We have towels. We have a changing room and all of that. And if you want to be baptized today, maybe because you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, why not today? Why not an October snowy, wintry day in 2018? It'd be a day that you will never forget. You'll remember for all your life. Why not today? Um, I'll tell you this, before the band leads us, it it won't be scary. In fact, um, which it was for the first couple of people I baptized when I was younger, 30 years ago. Let me just tell you, just, just, just to break the ice on that. If you're thinking about it going, yeah, but I don't know. I, that's kind of scary to get up there, get in that water. Well, the first time I baptized somebody when I was 20, I think, or 21, I, I didn't know. I didn't learn that in college. They didn't give you a practical how-to. So I baptized somebody, and I stand, stood right here beside them. I baptized them, but I lost my balance, and I started to fall on top of them. And uh, they, under the water, opened their eyes like, what are you doing? You're trying to drown me. And they were trying to get up, and I was trying to get off of them, but I couldn't, and it was a disaster, and they were very scared. (laughs) They didn't die, but it was a scary thing. Another time I baptized a guy who was taller than me. I'm 6'3", he was like 6'5", or 6', so that means he's going to take up more space. I should have moved him to this end of the baptistry. I didn't do that. So I baptized him. I didn't fall on him, but I nailed his head on the back of the baptistry, and he was like, ow! He didn't go all the way under, so I was thinking, I gotta push him under, and he's, he's thinking, no, I gotta get up. And I'm struggling to push him under the water, and he's like, what are you doing? That won't happen today. I guarantee you, he's that He's much won't better now. <laughs> More recently, the baptistry heater broke, and the water, which is normally warm, just like a hot tub, nice and comfortable, was freezing cold. We had filled it up, it was not even room temperature, it was colder than that, you know, faucet water. And, uh, and a guy came forward, wanted to be baptized. He had a lot of rough edges. He had not lived for the Lord his whole life, but he sincerely, with all his heart, was ready to give his life to the Lord. It was an incredible moment. He may have cursed like a sailor in the past, but he wanted to give his whole life to the Lord. And, and I said, well, we can do it. The water's cold. He goes, that's fine. So we get in the water. It was really cold. And when I baptized him, he came up out of the water so shocked that without meaning to, a word came out of his mouth. I won't say it. <laughs> But he just said, blank, that water's cold. And then he looked at me and he said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, it didn't take. Do it again, do it again. (laughs) I said, I don't think we have to do it again. You're okay, it's okay. I tell you those stories to just tell you, you know what, the water's just water. But if you've never been baptized, why not today? Why not today? 
Again, you may know somebody that you want to bring, and maybe their time would come next week. But if it's you, if you've never given your life to the Lord, or maybe you have, but you've never been baptized, why not today? Will you stand with me? Let's pray, and let's invite the Holy Spirit to touch our hearts, lead us, and you respond however He prompts you. Lord, I pray, God, as we sing this song of invitation, as we prepare for a time of communion shortly after, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would touch each one of us and help each one of us to hear your still, small voice that is so beautiful, so powerful. Lord, if there be somebody here today who has a need for you, I pray, God, that you would lay it on their heart, that they would come forward today. Maybe it's to be baptized. Maybe it's to pray with somebody. Maybe it's to sit and talk. Maybe it's to kneel on the steps alone and just confess to you and get right with you in their own time or in their own way, whatever it may be. But Lord, if, if there be somebody who needs to make a decision for you, I pray you give them boldness and courage like the lion to step forward to make a decision for you. And we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people together said,